0: We've been studying this powerful story of Moses, and there's so much there, we don't have time to get into in-depth study. But today, this week, I was challenged because we came to the part of the plagues. Most of us have read through the plagues, and most of us have heard of them, Sunday school or wherever, and it's really not our favorite subject, especially when we're living through a plague. But the Lord stirred my heart, and and we don't have time to go into depth today, but I want us to look at the plagues because there is a powerful message that God gives us through the plagues. There's four periods of time in Scripture when God just pours out His miracle power on the earth. The first is in the time of Moses. Not only the plagues, but through the the wilderness journey god shows miraculous things and takes care of his people the next is in the time of elijah with great miracles and the next is when jesus walked the earth and we know that god is a miracle working god aren't you thankful for that today if you take the miracles out of scripture you don't have much left god is supernatural and He manifests Himself in that way. And the fourth hasn't come yet. The fourth time when we, when we see in Scripture that God's going to pour out His miracle-working power in such great extent is before Jesus returns. And yes, there's going to be a judgment come. God's wrath is going to come upon a world that is has rejected Him and turned their back on Him. But also, at that same time, we're going to see God pour His Spirit out on all flesh. He's going to meet that increase of evil with a greater manifestation of His power and His glory. And guess what? He wins! And because He wins, we win. Amen? So I want us to go through the plagues today and I want you to grasp this message. And as difficult as it is reading about this, I want you to put yourself in their place today. I want you to picture yourself going through these plagues. I want you to picture yourself as an Egyptian and I want you to picture yourself as a Hebrew. And just think about it and let it grab a hold of your heart today. Now, the, the plagues were deliberate. God had planned for the plagues. They weren't an afterthought. They weren't, weren't something that God just the, said, Oh my goodness, Pharaoh's rebelling against me. His heart is hardened. I've got to do something. They were in the plan of God all along. In Exodus chapter 3, I'm going to read a couple of verses. One from Exodus chapter 3, and then from Exodus chapter 6, and then we'll start actually with Exodus chapter 7, verse 14. Exodus chapter 3, verse 19. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. This is God speaking to Moses. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst, and after that he will let you go. God knows what it takes to bring freedom to people. Sometimes He has to raise a mighty hand to bring freedom. And when we pray for freedom in our nation, we don't know what is going to take place. But we know God is still in control and that His mighty hand may be manifested before our nation is set free. Pharaoh's nature required the plagues. In Exodus chapter 7, verse 14, So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. We talked about this uh, in the last few Sundays about the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. His heart was hardened. And then God hardened it even more. God knew that He wasn't going to change. He knew that He wasn't going to turn. And so His heart was hardened, so God knew that the plagues had to come upon the the land of Egypt. The plagues were essential because of Pharaoh's nature. Pharaoh thought He was God. The people worshipped Him. Life and death was in His hands. His word was law. He was worshipped by the Egyptian people. And all that went to his head and he literally thought he was God. And when he's confronted with the true and the living God, he 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 still thinks he's God. He still thinks he's in control. Church, there are people like that today that we encounter. Amen. There are people that say I'm going to do it my way. You remember the song, I did it my way. Let me tell you from experience, when I do it my way, it doesn't work out too well. When I do it his way, it works out great. Amen? But Pharaoh thought he was God. He was was in control, and he was going to stand up to this Hebrew God because he was God. And he wasn't going to listen to this Hebrew God and what the Hebrew God wanted him to do. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 10... Moses asked God a question. This is interesting. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go out of this land. And Moses spoke before the Lord saying, The children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. He's saying, my own people don't even listen to me. What makes you think Pharaoh's going to listen to me? And God's answer was the plagues. God's answer was, I'm going to manifest My glory. I'm going to show You My mighty hand. I'm going to show Pharaoh who is the true and the living God where there is no doubt. Amen? It's interesting that these plagues reached all the Egyptians. You see the word all over and over throughout this passage. It wasn't just The elite in Egypt. It affected everyone from Pharaoh down to the lowliest servant. It affected all of them. The grief and the anguish and the loss that they they suffered. Church, it didn't have to take place. When we think of freedom and the great emancipator, we usually think in the United States about Lincoln. Pharaoh, Listen to this, church. Pharaoh could have gone down in history as the greatest emancipator that there's ever been. If he had acknowledged God, I believe this with all my heart. If he had acknowledged God, and and just like we see in Jonah and Nineveh, we see Nineveh, a city of 120,000 people, a city state, they were a country. And the king, what does he do? He puts on sackcloth and ashes. He puts it out through all the land. This is God. We must honor Him. We must obey Him. And it says, from the greatest to the least, they believed God. And so God didn't come and destroy Nineveh. The same God here working, if Pharaoh had softened his heart. If Pharaoh had said, yes, I recognize this is God, I believe Egypt would have been blessed, they would have been spared, God's people would have been let go, they would have entered into the promised land, and God would have blessed Egypt instead of the devastation that they suffered. I believe that. Because that's the God we serve. Let's look at the plagues. Look at Exodus chapter 7, verse 14. The first one is the plague of blood. The Egyptian Nile River was basically their source for life. Not only was it the source of their drinking water, their their cooking and bathing and cleaning, it was also the source of one of the staples in their diet, which was fish. And all of this was gone, all of this was lost for seven days. Verse 14, So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water. And you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. And the rod which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand. And you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you saying, Let my people go. That they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. The plagues preach a message that the Hebrew God is the true and the living God. He's saying, By this, by the plagues, you shall know I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters, "...which are in the river with the rod that is in My hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die, the river shall shrink, shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, over all their pools of water that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river. in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died. The river stank and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Put yourself in their place. For seven days, all the water, the water you had stored in the jars in the house, the water in the wells, and and in that time and even to this day, a lot of the well water is not good water to drink in Egypt. The Nile was their source for all of this Water that they needed for all the, the different things just to make life work. And now, all of it's blood. How, how would you, experience, experiencing that for yourself, how would you feel? I think I would get the hint that there is a God that's greater. Amen? Verse 23 says, And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. He didn't give a rip. He didn't care. I'm God, he thinks. I don't care. All this, he just ignores it. And what does he do? He goes into the house, into the palace. His heart was hardened. Church, we encounter people like that today. It's sad, but it's true. There are people that say, I just don't care. I don't care about anything but me and what I want. It's all about me. That's what Pharaoh was. He was stubborn. I don't think I've ever encountered anyone that had this stubborn streak, except maybe Melinda, but I'm not sure. (laughs) Just kidding. The second plague, Exodus chapter 8, verse 3. It's the plague of frogs. I don't care how many frogs you like, you wouldn't have liked this. Exodus chapter 8, verse 3. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, in your houses of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, and into your kneading bowls. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. Imagine, in the kitchen, you're trying to... To cook dinner, there are frogs in the bowl with the food. Where you're trying to fix dinner, you go to the oven to open up the oven. There's frogs in the oven. There, you go to bed. You open back. You pull back the covers. There's frogs all in your bed, everywhere. There were frogs. I don't know about you, but I would have been saying, "Okay, enough's enough. You are God." But Pharaoh didn't. The third plague, in some. Uh, translations it's lice others it's gnats i think gnats is probably a better translation the 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 new king james i'm using uses lice. verse 16 says so the lord said to moses say to aaron stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice throughout all the land of egypt the word translated lice there um describes a biting stinging insect that penetrates everything it it penetrates your nostrils your ears gets in your hair there anybody ever been in the bush in the summer the no sims. it's kind of like that except a lot worse (laughs) it's in your mouth you open up your mouth You, you open up your eyes there's there's those gnats coming In verse 19 it says, Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. The magicians understood. They didn't need any (laughs) more. They said, This is God. This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh continues to harden his heart. Now something awesome happens at the end of the third plague. Between the third and the fourth plague, God intervenes in a powerful way. I want you to see this. Um, In verse 22 it, it says, And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen. That's where the Hebrews were. In which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. God, between the third and the fourth plague, God places His hand of protection over His people. It's like there was a... a, an unseen dome that just came and settled down over the land of Goshen and they did not experience any more of the plagues. Church, that's awesome. That's the God that we serve. He he loves us. He cares for us. And that's why I'm not worried about when when the plagues come again to the earth, when God's wrath is poured out on the earth. I'm not concerned about how long the church stays here before we go up and are called to be with Jesus. Because God's going to take care of us. I believe that. He's a God that shows love. He's a God that shows protection. And he he is making a statement there, church, and I want you to grasp this. He's saying, look what happens for those who have a covenant relationship with me. Those that worship me, those that honor me, those that live for me. They're blessed. And we see that in Scripture and other places where God blesses His people and He wants to bless us so that The world will be envious of the blessing of God on our lives. I believe God still does that today. I'm not saying He he wants to make us all billionaires, but I'm saying God wants His evidence in your life to be so prominent that when the world looks at you, they see God's blessing on you. Amen? And why? Because He wants the world to be jealous of what you have. And what we have is that relationship with Him. And His his hand of protection, His love, His grace, His mercy. Now, that doesn't mean we don't go through difficult times. We live in a fallen world. Amen? We're in the midst of a plague right now. But God's people do not give in to that. God's people don't give in to the fear god's people say our god is in control amen i talked to my mother the other day by the way i want to thank everybody for the prayers we had she had a heart attack a couple of sundays ago right before i got up to preach and they rushed her to the hospital and we were praying for her her church was praying for her there are a lot of christians praying for her and guess what she, she got in there, and the doctor said, well, you need two stents. He said, it's a good thing you came in when you did. And my mother is kind of stubborn like Pharaoh sometimes, and she doesn't like to go to the doctor. But she went to the doctor. Or she had pain. She thought it was in her, in her stomach, and she thought, I've got indigestion or something, but it kept getting worse, so she went to the doctor. She didn't have any damage to her heart, hardly at all. And, and she... They, they put two stints in, they sent her home, and she's as ornery as ever. So I want to thank you. It, it, and my point there is, church, it doesn't mean that we won't go through life and struggles, but it means God's on the throne. We have a relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We are His children. He is there for us, and He brings us through to victory. So God's people were set apart. He wanted the Egyptian people to see what a relationship with the true and the living God means for the people that He loves. The next plague was the swarms. Now in verse 24 it says, "...and the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into His servants' houses, into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted." Because of the swarms of flies. Now, in your text, most Bibles will have the flies part in italics because it's not in the original text. It's added by the translators. And what's important about that is swarms means a mixture of. It means there was a, a mixture of multiple insects that were swarming together. So there could have been Flying beetles, there could have been spiders, fleas, ticks, chiggers. Anybody ever lived where there's chiggers? I'm from Texas, I know ticks and chiggers. I don't like either one of them. Bees, I mean, it was just a nightmare. There was just a swarm of all these insects coming, attacking the people. In verse 32 it says, But Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also, neither would he let the people go. Church, I don't know about you, but I would have been throwing up my hands in surrender saying enough is enough. You are God. But He hardened His heart again. The fifth flag was against the livestock. In Exodus chapter 9, verse 3-6, through 6, Behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in your field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between, listen to this, the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Then the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock stock of Egypt died. All the livestock. Of Egypt died, but of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Wow. They lost all their fish, now they've lost all their red meat and they've lost all their milk. What's taking place here, just imagine the carcasses all over the land, all the dead animals. How nasty it would have been. And I'm not, I'm not trying to, to gross you out today, but I'm trying, church, to get you to really picture what it would have been like. How hard Pharaoh's heart must have been that he wanted his people and his own immediate family and even himself to continue to go through these things. But when the, what made it worse was when they looked over at the land of Goshen, God's people were over there Not one of their animals died. Everything is great. I don't know about you, but that's the God I want to serve. The next plague was the plague of boils. In Exodus chapter 9, verse 10, it says, Then they took the ashes from the furnace and and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them toward heaven. And they caused boils that break out in the sores on man, and beast by this time the average Egyptian was probably thinking what else can possibly go wrong I know I would have been thinking that what on earth can happen now what how can it get any worse and yet it continued to get worse in church that's a message when you run from God when you rebel from God it's not gonna get better it's gonna continue to get worse Amen? It doesn't matter what you try to substitute in your life for God. You can try to numb life where, where, where you just kind of float through life. You can, you can take drugs and alcohol and, and, and be promiscuous and sexual things. You can try to fill your life with all these different things, church. But just like the Egyptian people, just like Pharaoh, it's not going to get better. It's just going to get worse. That's why we need Him. Amen? Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, it describes these boils as inflamed eruptions breaking forth into the skin as pustules. In other words, they were ulcers that were oozing. Now think about this. Think about it. getting getting these ulcers... It like, like, like in your, in your elbow areas or behind your knees. or They were covered in them. There was no way they could get comfortable. They couldn't sit down. They weren't comfortable standing up. They were on the bottoms of their feet. All their body was covered with these boils. There was no way to lay down to be comfortable. No way to sit down to be comfortable. There was no way they could be comfortable at all. And yet Pharaoh still didn't soften his heart. The next plague is number 7. It's Exodus chapter 9, verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man, on beast, and on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And this was no ordinary hailstorm. Listen to verse 23. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven. And the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground. Fire darted to the ground. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt, so that there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, so very heavy that that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt. All that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. Now I grew up in Texas. I know what hail storms are. In fact, a lot of the insurance companies have moved out of Texas or tried not to cover hail damage because every few years, a hailstorm will come through and it ruins the roofs of all the houses. I was in a hailstorm at one time, driving, and I was caught in a van, driving down the road. And there was a, a hailstone about the size of a baseball that came through my windshield into the van. My sister, in a, one of our worst hailstorms, had actually a softball-sized hailstone. That came through the roof of her house, through the attic, into the house. And that's nothing compared to what they were experiencing. Think about that the powerful hailstones. Now, Pharaoh gives Moses an indication that he's starting to weaken. In verse 27 of chapter 9, it says, And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and My people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go, and and you shall stay no longer. So it sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds like Pharaoh has finally come to his senses. Pharaoh recognizes he needs God. But Moses saw through it. Pharaoh's little speech sounded really good, but there was something about it. I don't know if God gave uh, insight to Moses. It was supernatural insight. Or if he just picked up something in the way he said it or looked in his eyes and just could tell that his heart was still hardened. But verse 30 says, But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. Moses saw through what he was saying. Sometimes people just give lip service to God. God knows our hearts, He knows if we're genuine, He knows if we're just saying the right things. I I met a young man the other day and uh, he found out I was a pastor, and it was amazing how he changed. Because before this, he was using some very colorful language. And all of a sudden, after he found out I was a pastor, hi brother, how you doing? God's good, isn't he? And it broke my heart because I knew that he was just trying to to play up to me. He he was wanting to connect with me and and for his own benefit, get something out of me. And instead of really knowing what he was talking about, he had been around Christians enough to know some of the language. And what's sad, church, there's people like that today. There are people that we encounter everywhere. They They will say, Hi, brother or sister, isn't God good? And they no more have a relationship with him than Pharaoh did. And church, I want to know without a doubt, everyone who comes into our church has a genuine born-again relationship with the true and the living God, that there is no doubt in their heart, is no doubt in their life. They know the covenant God and have made a covenant with Him. They know His grace, His mercy, and His love. And they're, they're, they know that they're under that shield of protection and God's in control. Amen? plague number 8 we're almost by the way I'm going to stop with number 9 because next Sunday I want to talk about the 10th plague because it's powerful it deserves a whole message but the plague number 8 exodus chapter 10 verse 13 through 15 so Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt and the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night when it was morning the east wind brought the locust and the locust went up over all the land of Egypt and rested on all the territory of Egypt. They were there. They were very severe. Previously, there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there be such after them. For they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened. And they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. Little by little, the plagues, church, were attacking the basics, the essentials of life. They were starving to death. They were attacking these plagues The diet of the Egyptians. And now nothing was left. I can't imagine, and probably the Egyptians couldn't either, anything worse than this. What they had gone through. But yet there's another plague. And then another. And we're going to end with the ninth plague. The ninth plague is Exodus chapter 10, verse 22. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven. And there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. And they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Now I want you to to grasp this. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where it's really dark. I have. If you've ever been in a cave, Gail was talking about uh, Carlsbad Caverns. And one of the things, when when they take you down into the cavern, uh, somewhere along the tour, they'll flip the lights all off. And I mean, you go like this, and you can't see your hand. You can't see anything. And this darkness was worse. One time I was traveling on a hunting trip with a young teenage boy and that I would mentor when we were in Wrangell. I'd take him hunting and teach him how to hunt and just camp with them, get to know the young men, try to, to love them in Jesus Christ. And I was with a young man, and, and we had started on this trip from the top of a mountain. We were going to follow the mountain, hunt it all the way down, and there was a road eventually that we'd come to. And it gets dark in November in Wrangell really quick, especially on an overcast day. And being the great, mighty hunter that I am, I forgot to bring a flashlight or anything So we're about halfway down the mountain, and I see it's getting dark. And I'm with a young man, and he, I didn't realize this, but he had a real fear of the dark. And we were coming down the mountain, and I, I find a creek, and I, I thought, hey, it's getting dark, but if we stay in this creek, I know this creek eventually crosses the road, and we can get out of here. Well, we, we, we got into the creek, and we were walking, and it, it got so, you know, almost dark. And I could tell he was afraid. And so we came across a tree that had fallen across the creek. And I sat down on it. I said, here, here, Stephen, sit down here and we're going to pray. And so I just prayed against any fear. I prayed for God's protection. Lord, just help us to get out of this situation. Don't let us get hurt. And uh, I said, Stephen, you get behind me and I'll go in front. That way if I run into anything, you'll know. So we kept going and eventually it was was an overcast day. We were down in a creek and the trees are huge in Wrangell. I mean huge. And this little creek got so dark that I could not see my hand in front of my face. It was like being in that cave. But I just kept encouraging him and I just kept telling him, come on Stephen, we're going to make it. I'd trip over a log and say... There's a log in front of you. <laughs> or I'd walk into a limb and poke me in the chest or something. There's a limb here. <laughs> but I'll never forget that trip because we, we 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 made it out. Praise God. We weren't hurt. We finally I saw the road way up there and a little bit of light hitting the road. And and we, we walked out of it and we, we hunted and I got him home and everything was okay. His mom came up to me Sunday and she just had this look on her face. What did you do to my son on that hunting trip? And I thought, oh no, he's told her. She said, my son was afraid of the dark. And God did something to him now. She said, I couldn't even get him to take the trash out at night and go put it on the curb. She said, now he just grabs it and runs out there and puts it on the curb and doesn't think anything about it. And I said, oh, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) But God used that to to free that young man of of the fear of darkness. And, and, And in this, it says the darkness was thick. It was so thick that you couldn't have a lantern that would shine. They could hold a lantern, and the darkness was so thick between the lantern and them, they couldn't see anything. They huddled up for three days. They didn't move. They didn't come out of their houses. They just sit there in that darkness. It was a supernatural darkness. In church, there are people that aren't living in this supernatural darkness, but they are living in supernatural darkness. And we are the light. The church is the light. Because Jesus is the light and He's in us. And we need to let them know, yes, there's a supernatural God. And He's the light and He loves us. And He wants that relationship with us. In verse 28, it says Pharaoh still hardened his heart. In chapter 10 of Exodus, verse 28, Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in that day you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, You have spoken well. I will never see your face again. Moses knew who was in control. Pharaoh still wanted to rebel. He was still saying he was God. Moses, if I see your face again, you're going to die. Moses said, you're right. You're never going to see my face again. Moses wasn't afraid because he knew who was in control. If you look at these plagues, they preach to us today. They're not just historical little stories that we read about. Church, there's a message here today. And the first message is that the God of the Hebrews, the great I Am, is the true and the living God. There is no other. Eighty-five percent of the people in the world today worship some God. Eighty-five percent. Why is that? With all the technology, with all the universities that say, "Oh, there is no God," it's because God created us to serve Him. God created us to worship Him. There is a place in our life that only God can fill. Are you with me? He is the one true God. We we think today about various prominent gods that we hear about. We may hear of a uh, Hari Krishna or Buddha or Brahma or Allah. We hear about God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we live in a world today that has many more gods than that. In fact, the Hebrews, I mean the, the uh, Hindus have 330 million gods. And it's interesting that God was confronting all of the Egyptian gods. There was a God of the Nile. There was a God that was a frog. There was a God that was a cow. There was a God of the firstborn. The Egyptians, These God was directly speaking to them, you think these are gods, but they are not God. There's one true and living God. And church, today we face that. It is so prominent in the world we live in today. There are so many people that say, well, all religions are the same. You Christians are not tolerant. You need to be politically correct. I'm not going to be politically correct no matter what. If I end up in prison, I'm not going to be politically correct. I'm going to be biblically correct. Are you with me? God was trying to show Egypt. There is a God that's greater than all of these so-called little gods that you think are in control and worshiping. And today, church, there are people, they, don't, they will tell you all, I don't believe in God, but they're just like Pharaoh. They think they're God. It's humanism. Me, myself, and I, I'm God over this life. I'm God. I'm going to do what I want to do. We can go any place in the world and you'll find people that worship some God. And the message of the the plagues is, yes, there is one true God. He's greater than all else. He is the one that wants to covenant with you. He is the one that loves you. He is the one that wants you to come into that relationship with Him. And that should be our message on our hearts today. There's over a hundred verses in Scriptures where God says, I am the one true God. One in the Old Testament is Isaiah chapter 43 and 11. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. Church, it doesn't get any plainer than that. The world says, why aren't we tolerant? Why isn't every religion the same? Because religion is man's idea, it's man's attempt to get right with God, and we can never do that. Jesus is God's idea. He's the mediator. He's the one that paid the price so that we could have that relationship with, it, with the true and the living God. And there's one other thing. If you're looking for a church that tickles your ears, you're in the wrong church. You probably gathered that by now. God's word tells us to preach the whole counsel of God. God tells us as pastors, we I I am so sick and tired of pastors that stand up and just coddle the people. Not that you shouldn't love the people, I love you. But if you really love people, you're not gonna coddle them. You're not gonna tickle their ears, you're gonna preach the truth. I think people really want to know the truth. And and you, you don't hear this verse preached on, but listen to this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Church, there's going to be a reckoning one day. Every one of us will stand before God. Either at the great white throne judgment or at the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to have to give an account for our life. And if we know Jesus, we're gonna be at the judgment seat of Christ and we're gonna receive rewards for for our life of faith and trust in Him. But if we if we don't know Him, we're gonna be at the great white throne judgment where we're cast into a lake of eternal fire. And church, I don't like to preach that, but it's the truth. I don't like to think about all these people going through these plagues and what it must have been like. But there's a, a greater judgment day that's coming. In the church, if we want to see people set free, we've got to rise up and be the church. Amen? We've got to rise up. Worship team, will you come? I don't know about you, but I want to see a church filled with people that are hungry for the Word of God. People that believe in the miracle power of God. People that come expecting God to work in their lives and through their lives. I want to see a church that's filled with people that aren't perfect, but they're forgiven. And they're growing. And they're maturing in God. And they want God to work in their hearts and lives. Church, I'm believing when the, when the Bible talks about in the last days, God says, I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. I believe that. I believe we're going to see greater, mighty miracles than this world has ever seen before. Yes, there's coming judgment. But before that, the church is going to rise up. The power of God's going to fill His people. And there's going to be that distinction between those that are living in that protection of God and those that are trying to be their own God. I want you to stand with me. I'm thankful that God speaks to us through the plagues. In church, I'm thankful that when I was six years old, in the back seat of my dad's car, I got down on my knees as a hurting little boy. And I cried out to God. I asked God to come into my life to help me in the midst of the the turmoil. And my parents had gone through a divorce. And as as a young boy, it was difficult. And from that time forward, I haven't been perfect. But I've known the true and the living God. I knew that he had a plan for my life. I knew that if I worshipped him and had that relationship with him, that he would bring me through the difficult trials and tribulations of life. That his hand of protection would be upon me. And church, that's why I'm here today. It's not because I wanted a job. Believe me, there's a lot of jobs easier than being a Pastor. In fact, I told a young man that was working on his credentials and received his first step in credentials. I was with him the other day and I said, if you can picture yourself doing anything else, do it. Because if you're really called by God, you won't be able to see yourself doing anything else but what God's called you to do. I'm going to ask the prayer team to... Come to the front and come to the back and we're going to close in a word of prayer.